0: Welcome to episode three of the Global Idaho podcast, which discusses current issues affecting southeastern Idaho and places them in a global context. I'm Heather Thompson.
1: And I'm Kyler Miller. In season one of Global Idaho, we're focusing on immigration reform and the DACA program. During each episode, we will interview DACA students, experts, and other community members as a way to study DREAMers in Southeast Idaho in order to understand DACA and its political, social, and economic significance, as well as increase awareness about immigration and immigration reform in our community.
0: In this episode, we will discuss the history of how undocumented immigrants have had an effect on education, how education is impacted by immigration, and the influence of the immigrant population within the realm of higher education.
1: The history of education concerning undocumented immigrants begins in Texas in 1975 with Plyer v. Doe, where school districts were withholding funds to educate children who were not legally admitted into the United States. Some school districts within the state of Texas took this as an invitation to kick certain groups of students out of school, while others, like in Tyler, Texas, began charging a tuition fee of $1,000 per year. By doing this, there was a swift fallout for low-income Latinos and other minorities that were removed from the schools. The Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund filed suit and was eventually combined with a similar suit from Houston, which winds up in the Supreme Court.
0: The Supreme Court rules in favor of the students, citing that the law violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. According to ACLU.org, the court recognized education was crucial to preventing a permanent underclass of undocumented immigrants in the United States and ensuring immigrants' future membership in society.
1: Yeah, Heather, they did this by citing uh, Brown v. Board of Education. The court recognized that denying these children a basic education would deny them the ability to live within the structures of our civic institutions and foreclose any realistic possibility that they will contribute even the smallest way to the progress. our nation. It's important to know that on June 15th, uh, that will mark the 36th year since the Supreme Court passed, Plier versus Doe. This is relevant today because as of March 22nd, 2016, DACA students are able to pay in-state tuition, giving them a better chance at receiving a college degree.
0: When speaking about how immigrants and dreamers have changed the fabric of America, we spoke with Sonia Martinez, who is the coordinator of the STEM Diversity and Outreach Center at Idaho State University. Can you refute the belief that undocumented immigrants add a financial burden to universities and colleges?
2: There, I, I don't see where they would be a burden because... They do not draw from federal FAFSA, so they wouldn't take any funding from federal student aid because they don't qualify for one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that they are a benefit to our colleges and universities because they have to pay full tuition. So how they would be a burden? I'm not. I yeah, absolutely. I don't see any anything where they would be a burden. Uh, I think they're an asset because they're they're. They're students that are uh, paying full tuition. Well, I I'm not involved as far as you know what my involvement is. Not at the university level. On a personal level, we we have encouraged students that are that were eligible for DACA when DACA first became available to students. I was part of a community movement to inform students and to definitely uh, get them into, to take advantage of that, uh, of uh, being legally here in the U.S., I mean, because that allowed them to be here legally, and then to go on to higher education, because they're going to stay, so wouldn't you want an educated uh, individual that's going to be in your country to then be able to use that status to contribute to the economy instead of to just Pretty much, be in the shadows or sit around at home, or you know. I mean, definitely, we want them to contribute to the economy. So that that was a a big driver. Is to it was just the right thing to do, and and um, uh, not just for the dreamer, but also for our community. Well, I think um, traditionally higher ed has been a priority for first-generation immigrants because their parents pretty much risked everything to come to this country. I mean, they come to a country where it's not necessarily friendly, they're not necessarily wanted, And uh, for the most part, they come from low income communities. And so education is really their chance to make their dreams come true. And so traditionally, if you look at most numbers, first generation Hispanic students or immigrant students, for that matter, um, tend to do much better than uh, residents, I mean, than Mm -hmm. citizens. So they tend to do very well. Um, Immigrants are also opening up more businesses than non immigrants. Uh, at a higher at a higher rate and being much more successful, uh, and so I think they they still look at the American dream, and I think some of us forget that there is such a thing as the American dream, and to them it's it's pretty
0: clear. And so I think that, you know, they they tend to do very well. Sonia then wanted to talk to us about her involvement in the STEM program, and here's what she had to say.
2: So the Hispanic population. Um, is one of the fastest growing populations in the United States. And of course that includes our, our, our DACA students. Uh, recently we had a conference here at ISU uh, on careers for Hispanic students and our keynote speaker was a robotics engineer from Arizona who happened to be on a team that beat MIT students. And what was really interesting is he said Uh, that he was studying engineering robotics um, at the University of Michigan, but that he had just last semester, was his last semester because of of the uncertainty with DACA. So now he's back in Arizona trying to figure out how he's going to support himself. So we've lost this engineer that is featured in a film, Underwater Dreams, I mean, who knows what he could contribute to the United States, but here he is in limbo um, because of the possibility of DACA ending. And so, as far as STEM degrees go, we don't know who the next genius is lurking out there. And, you know, the US could stand to lose. Uh, when it comes to these students. And so I think that that we have only but to gain from students in our universities right now that are um, in our STEM fields. So, you know, that's just what I wanted to touch on because it's kind of a race, really, you know. Um, We really need to to look at that very closely. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it really doesn't. Why would we want to not keep them here?
0: So Sonia touches on a lot of important points in this idea of immigration and higher education, stating that opposed to the view of them adding a financial burden to colleges, they are actually helping by going to school, getting degrees and being a part of important programs and then adding to the workforce once they are done with school.
1: After speaking with Sonia Martinez, we wanted another perspective on how DACA students are viewed here at Idaho State University and what they are going through as far as gaining a higher education. We were able to speak with Guillermo Rea, who is a Bengal Bridge instructor and academic coach at Idaho State University. We asked him a few questions concerning higher education and how it pertains to DACA students. So Guillermo, is higher education a basic human right?
3: That is a really complex question. I think when you look at higher education in general, you're really talking about a privilege in some areas. I mean, when we talk about education as a right, you know, most, most people would say yes, right? That is what should happen. You know, education should be a right. But when you really break down the complexity of that question is who can afford college? Who can really afford to go on to a four-year institution? So a lot of, if you can look at rural Idaho, I mean, you have quite a lot of students who are limited income and so some of those students tend to go sometimes to a two year institution just for cost alone. I mean, at a four year institution, we're almost at $5,800 per, for the year. And so for me, it is a right, but privilege still makes some, allows students to go and not others.
0: Do you know how many DACA students there are at ISU?
3: And that's a really hard number to, to kind of break down specifically. We don't track that. We don't have any mechanism to look at specifically, are you a DACA student? Um, I mean, if we, were able, if we were able to have that question put on somewhere, some students might not feel comfortable answering that question because then it really exposes them even more. You know, they, they don't want to feel like they are different or separate from other students. Um, I mean, that's something that would be nice to know. I mean, I know that I have my DACA students who I'm working with and I have been following them since high school, but to know specifics numbers, that's a tough question.
1: So, you know, why is it important for dreamers to attend um, college or to get a higher education than just a high school? I think that falls for, I
3: mean, that falls kind of for, I guess, in, the, in a, for a general student because, I mean, we kind of know the stats, right? So if a student goes into a four-year institution, they're less likely to be incarcerated, um, less likely to get employed. So there's benefits to college, right, for any student to attend. But I think for dream- for Dreamers, it's it's even a big, it's, it's a significant um, impact to their community, their family. It's a sense of pride. So for Dreamers, a lot of our Dreamers from Idaho, I mean, they are definitely coming from a Latino or a Mexican background, so they probably are are limited income based on some of the rural areas that they're coming from. And so for them, coming out of poverty is a really big thing for our Gaga students.
0: So how do immigrants contribute to our ISU community?
3: That I think I'll I'll speak from the from the perspective of classrooms. If you have students who have different backgrounds and different experiences, I think that allows others to kind of challenge not only the norms, but also their own views. And I think that's really big because we live in a really complex society and our our global com- competition is growing even more. So for students to be part of our ICU community, especially DACA students or students from diverse backgrounds, it really is the enrichment of classrooms. And I, and, and I speak from a student's perspective, but also allowing those students to challenge others as well, and I think that's really good because w- when you go into the real world, right? Let's say you leave college, it's going to be a lot different. People are going to challenge you as well as much as they can. And if you didn't challenge your own views, or get some critical thinking, or change your intellectual being, then that's going to be a really tough spot when you're out working in government or in business or whatever sector it might be.
0: So, Is higher education important to the immigrant community here in Pocatello?
3: Yes, we don't. I I mean, we have immigrants here in Pocatello, but especially the surrounding areas, American Falls, Blackfoot. Um, So it's important, yes, from a moral standpoint, it's important from, I guess, any standpoint that uh, people would, I guess, disagree on. I mean, these students are contributing members, right, to our society. They're starting to become engaged in even politics or in their local communities, So I think that is a solid yes for me. I think a lot of the misconceptions that we have for DACA are just based on myths and lies. And I think that's hard for the general population to fully understand. And it's hard to be on the other side, to be a DACA student who fears um, being deported, being here for so many years. And it's hard also because these students are not, they don't have federal services that they can go to. They can't finance their education through FAFSA. I mean, the students who even finance their education through FAFSA, they still have to pay some out-of-pocket, but these students sometimes are only taking three credits just to have enough to pay for a class and work on the side to have enough money to pay for their next class.
1: After speaking with Guillermo, it is clear that higher education plays an important role in the lives of the DACA students here at Idaho State University as well as in our community. Um, the immigration holds a, a good part of what we do here in, in Pocatello. We would like to thank Guillermo again for taking the time to speak with us.
0: Throughout this episode, we have discussed the effect that immigration has had on education. We would like to thank Sonia Martinez and Guillermo Rea for helping us understand the role that higher education plays in the lives of immigrants.
1: Join us in two weeks where we will be discussing DACA and how it affects the Pocatello economy as well as the economy of the entire United States.
0: Do you have a perspective on DACA you'd like to share? Email us at hist. DEPT at ISU.edu. We'd like to thank all those associated with the Global Idaho podcast, specifically our editor, Ian Nielsen, our producer, Les Miller, and our professor, Dr. Cole de Peralta.
1: Global Idaho is sponsored by the History Department at Idaho State University. Our cover art was designed by Kelly Kamick, and our banner photo is by Fabian Fouth. The music you heard on today's show is When the Sky Turns Blue by Beau Crew.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on soundcloud.com by searching for the Global Idaho Podcast. Our podcast can now also be found on iTunes. The full interviews can be found on our website. Thanks for listening.